Good morning to everybody. Good morning. It's always a privilege to be here. We've been uh, out of town for a while, Michelle and I, and so it's always a delight to be back with you folk. It really is a delight. First of all, I just want to thank the people that did these ornaments. They look amazing. They really did. Whoever you are, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And then secondly, I just want to say Clayton is doing well. He's improving greatly. Thank you for your prayers. He really is. His uh, oxygen levels are a lot better than they were before. The carbon dioxide system is actually coming out of his system. And uh, so he's much, 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 much improved. So I appreciate it. Just to give you feedback, I know some of you have chatted to him. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. And then before we get into the word, just want to encourage you. Don't allow your circumstances, don't allow your mood to determine how you worship. I'm encouraging you strongly. Don't allow that to happen. The flesh is willing, the spirit is weak. We know that. I mean, the other way around. That's my dyslexia kicking in. The flesh is willing. <laughs> but so never I encourage you. It's not that easy. I understand that. But sometimes we come here on a Sunday and we've been through some struggles in the week. We all go through them. There's nobody immune to them. Nobody. But don't let that determine how worthy he is because he is worthy. He is worthy. Thank you. All the time. And so that's why we're worshiping, because he is worthy. He is worthy. <laughs> he really is. So, yeah. As Jesus said, if you don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. The rocks will cry out. Not talking about you folk, I mean, that's what he said. So that's wonderful. So, two scriptures, if you can get your Bibles out, please. Um, I forgot to give Dwayne the first one. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read from there, and then we're going to go into Isaiah chapter 7. And this thing is starting to make a bit of a noise, but that's okay. We will press on. We were recently back in uh, Canada about two weeks ago, and uh, I just want to share a little testimony with you, because sometimes something happens, or you pray for people, you speak to people, or encourage people, but you don't know the result straight away, or sometimes you never know the result, and that's fine. Oh, okay. What's happening? Oh, okay. As long as I don't get electrocuted. Well, that should be a little different. Light, I light up like the Christmas tree. And um, so we were recently there, and uh, we... <laughs> Sorry. Is there any other one I can use? Oh, that's a disaster. Me using a handheld is a disaster because this hand shakes a little bit, so now we've got to use one hand to hold this and another hand to do everything else, so, but that's fine. And um, so uh, we were recently up there, and uh, we got feedback about a couple that many, many years ago, Michelle and I had the privilege of praying for them probably 15 years ago, 16 years ago who the doctor said they would never have kids, never have kids. And uh, as we sat down with this couple and started to talk with them, we did some ministry with them, et cetera, et cetera. She now has three kids. 
And the weekend we were there, she actually sat down with her children and said to them, do you understand that you are miracle children? You have to understand that. You are not meant to be here in the natural. You are miracle children. And so all of those of you who could never have children, who God has graciously given you children, they are miracle children. Not that other children are miracle children, they are. But you have to understand that. The hand of God and the, and the graciousness of God is upon their lives, as he is upon all kids. Never forget that. All right, 1 Peter. Let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. One Peter chapter one, if you can go to verse 10, it says this. Peter's talking, it says, concerning this salvation, and in the verse couple of verses, he's just spoken about how great the salvation is and how we are born again. And in verse eight, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Then he says, now concerning this salvation, the prophets of the Old Testament, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that now follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but when they spoke of the things that you have now been told of by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look in these things. So Peter is saying how some of the Old Testament prophets, the Spirit of God within them, was letting them know about the Messiah that was coming. And so they were searching intently with greatest, greatest care, intently, as to when that would be. And even the angels wanted to be aware of it. The angels were aware that it was coming, but they wanted to find out when. And a couple of things there in this particular, because we're going to turn to the Old Testament. In verse 12, it says that it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. Folk, when the gospel comes to you, it's never self-serving. These Old Testament prophets was not about them. It was about the glories of God and other people. And when you and I get saved, it's never about us, although I know it's personal. But it has to be about the glory of God and what God wants to do through you into other people's lives. It can never be self-serving. And secondly, it was interesting that there was the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ within these prophets. That was the source of their prophecy. It wasn't them themselves. And it's the same Holy Spirit who is the source of our salvation, who's the only one that can reveal Jesus to you and I. If he does not reveal Jesus to you and I, we cannot know him. And so even what I want to talk about is the revealing of Jesus the revealing of Jesus. There are about 300 to 350 Old Testament prophets, prophecies, should I say, about the birth, his nature, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection. About 300 to 350 prophecies given about Christ and his life and all that. 
spanning over 2,000 years. 29 of those prophecies in the Old Testament tell of his betrayal, his trial, his death and burial. They were given over a 500-year period, but they were fulfilled in a 24-hour period. That's remarkable. 29 were filled in a 24-hour period, and they were given over 500 years. That's how precise the Scripture is and how precise the Lord is. And I want to briefly talk about four, very briefly, before we get into what I want. The Bible says that he was betrayed by a friend. And in Psalm 41, verse 9, this is what it says. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread has lifted up his hill against me. That was in B.C. 950, more or less. The fulfillment in John 13. And Matthew 10, when Jesus called the 12 and sent them out two by two, Judas Iscariot was one of those 12. We've got to understand that. He saw the power and the miraculous move of God through his life. But in John 13, it says this, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say that one of you will betray me. Then his disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore mentioned or motioned to him to ask of whom Jesus was speaking. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one whom I will give this piece of bread. Fulfilling the prophecy out of Psalm. I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon. The next part of that is it was sold for 30 pieces of silver. In Zechariah and Jeremiah, Zechariah was about 320 B.C. Jeremiah was about 625 B.C. Zechariah 11:12 says this, Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and I will not refrain. So they weighed out my wages 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 26:14, the fulfillment. Then one of the 12 called Judas... One of the 12, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out 30 pieces of silver. See what I mean about the hands. <laughs> but we will get there. Also part of this, the money is to be thrown into God's house. In Zechariah 11:13, it says this, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. That pricely piece they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. It's amazing. The Lord said, throw this money. Matthew 27, the fulfillment. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is it to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the 30 pieces of silver in the temple and departed. And the last little bit is the price given for the potter's field. 
In Zechariah that I just quoted, 11.13, it says there were 30 pieces of silver that will buy a potter's field. Matthew 27, for full, but the chief priest took the silver that had been thrown down in the house of the Lord and said, it is not lawful to put this into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers. Isn't that amazing? I don't know, I find it amazing. So in these four prophecies, this is incredible detail and fulfillment of it. Jesus was betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces, not 29, of silver, not gold. It was thrown down, not placed. It was thrown in the house of the Lord, and they used that money to buy a potter's field. That's the exact detail that was prophesied, and that's what happened. I find it remarkable. The word of God is true, people. The word of God is true. But I want to focus on two major prophecies, and I don't know if we'll get to the second one, concerning the coming of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. So this is where we go to Isaiah chapter 7. If you've got a Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 7. This is an amazing story, the way God chooses by the Holy Spirit through the prophet Isaiah to say something about the coming of Christ. And it's the story, and it's interesting in the story that the prophecy decides, God decides to use, to choose. But let me give you a bit of background. Before we read, I need to give you a bit of context. Israel had been divided apart. There were the 10 northern tribes by this part, and they were called Israel or Ephraim. There were double meaning for that. They were either called Israel, that's the northern 10 northern parts, and then the southern part, which was called Judah, which was of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, and sometimes, which included Jerusalem, and sometimes just referred to as Judah, meaning those two, two parts, Judah, that was the southern part. And the ministry of Isaiah spent three kings of the southern kingdom, King Uzziah, King Ahaz, who we're going to talk about, and King Hezekiah. So it's giving you a context, so you understand what it is. This chapter is when King Isaiah was king of the southern part. Judah and Benjamin, with Jerusalem as the capital. He was a wicked king. Wicked king. Worshipping other gods and even sacrificed his own son to Moloch, which was a Canaanite god. It was a time of open decay and open idolatry amongst God's people. He set up high places and his idolatry worship was one of the most shocking in all the kings of Israel. Once when he saw a statue of a foreign idol in some other temple, he ordered the priest Uriah to build a replica of it and placed it in a prominent place in the temple of the Lord. That's what he did. It's probably the only thing that came through, probably the only good thing that came through this man was he was the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, God used to reinstitute everything that should have been proper and good. So with that context, let's read. You with me? Isaiah chapter 7. When Ahaz, the son of Jotham, you've got to forgive the pronunciation with a South African accent, the son of Uzziah was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and, and Pekah, son of Ramallah, King of Israel marched up to fight against Jerusalem. 
but they could not overcome it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, which is the northern part. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forests are shaken by the wind. Stop there for a minute. So we see King Isaiah learned that Aram, or Syria at the time, and Israel, which was the northern part, had joined together to make war against Judah. And they reacted with great fear. The Bible tells us that. And instead of trusting in the Lord, they were shaken, and they were shaken like the leaves of a tree. They were unstable in their hearts. But God was not shaken at all in any form or any shape. Let's carry on reading. Verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shir Jazbah. I don't know how to pronounce his name, forgive me. To meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washman's field. It's amazing the detail. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rizan and Aram and of the son of Ramallah. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramallah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it amongst ourselves and make the son of Tabi king over it. Yes, this is what the, yet this is what the sermon Lord means, says. And interesting, that word Tabil, the king who they wanted to make, uh, put him in charge, means good for nothing. That's what his name actually means, good for nothing. So we see Iowa, Isaiah was told to take his son, Shejazbah, we haven't pronounced it, which actually means a remnant shall return. And God was trying to tell this man, I made a promise to David that I will always have a remnant before me. And I will do this, and I will make sure I have a reverend of people, a remnant of people, which was the southern tribe that will always be faithful to me and worship me. And we see that that was the promise that God gave to David. And in 2 Samuel 7, you don't have to turn, this is what God said to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever, forever. That's what Jesus is called the son of David up and through the Gospels, the son of David, the son of David. That he will always have a remnant of people, and he would come from Judah, David's lineage. It will always come. So God says to the king of Isaiah, through Isaiah the prophet, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. That's what God says. It's like they all smoke and no fire. These people that are coming against you, it's just a bunch of smoke. They've got no fire. There's nothing in them. That's how God sees it. That's what he said. It's amazing how he, he speaks. They're just smoking emblems. Don't worry about them. They all smoke and no fire. Their plans will not succeed. Just believe and you will stand firm and be established. So let's carry on reading from verse 7. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is risen. Within 65 years, Ephraim will too be shattered to be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is only Ramallah's son. 
if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So as I said, God is coming to encourage this king, even though he's a wicked king, and say, believe in me, trust in me. I made a promise to David. They will not succeed, but you have to believe. Just be quiet, stand firm. These smoldering emblems, there's no fire in them. Stand firm. God had already said that the attack would not succeed against Jerusalem, but it would affect the life of King Ahaz if he did not believe and his kingship. That's what he's basically saying to him. And unfortunately, we know that he did not trust and believe. Instead, he went to sought help from the king of Assyria. And you can read somewhere else in the, uh, in the account about it which way he went to his natural means. He went to his carnal means. He went to the natural, to try to find a natural solution to what was happening. And unfortunately, we can sometimes do that. When things come our way, the first thing we do is we try and find a natural solution to things instead of turning to the Lord. Particularly when he has spoken to us years before about something. So we read verse 10, it says, And again the Lord said to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether it's in the deepest depths or in the heights below. So God's coming to encourage us, amen. Okay, ask for a sign. I'll give you a sign so you can believe. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Very spiritual, but his heart is nowhere. His heart is hard. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, your house of David. Is this not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. That's the situation that God chose to bring the prophecy about the coming of Jesus Christ. That situation. It's amazing to me that it's that situation. So as I said, the Lord comes again to him to help him believe and said, ask for a sign. And his answer is very spiritual, but his heart is not. He's far from God. And Isaiah, the prophet, is righteously anger with the king. You treat other people badly, but you're treating God even worse. So Isaiah is given one of the most well-known prophecies about the birth of Christ, the Messiah, and we know this speaks about Jesus because in Matthew chapter 1, 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's very interesting to me to note the time and the circumstances in which the prophecy is given. It's a situation that seems totally helpless to a king that is so far from God corrupt and worshiping idols and tremendous fear and anxiety amongst the southern kingdom. God comes and says that the victory is his and in a sense has already won it because of his promise to David. So he says, keep calm to the king. Be quiet. Stop speaking the fear. Do not fear. Do not lose heart. Believe, and you will be established in the already won victory for you. I am Emmanuel, God with you. 
folk, we have to understand the depths and the meaning of that. That in dispensations past, God came to people. He came to Abram, and then he would, in a sense, leave him. Come and speak to him and show him something. And then 10, 15 years went by before God came to visit him again. When Moses walked the earth, God came to be with the people, but not him himself. He came in the form of a cloud, and he came in the form of a fire. And the angel went before them to show them the way, show them the presence of the Lord. But in the day we live in today, God is with us. He's not only coming to us. He's not only standing with us, but he lives within us. A greater, greater, greater revelation. Emmanuel, God with you. He will never leave you. Never. Never. Never forsake you. Because he's promised that. No matter what you go through, no matter what I go through, he has promised, Emmanuel, I will be with you. I will be with you. And so it always comes down to a question of faith. That's what it comes down to. And in verse 4, I've used some translations. It says, take heed, be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted. And then in verse 9, it says, be careful, be calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. And then verse 9, it says, if you will not believe, surely you will not be established. And the living translation says, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. And so it always comes down to a question of belief. It never comes down to a question of doing. It comes down to believing. Always comes down to believing. Always comes down to believing. That's why faith is so important. And God wants to encourage us again and again. And the Bible says faith has been sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so we know faith has to do with hope. Hope is the breeding ground of faith. Hope is a divine anticipation of good. That's what hope is. And so we start to think about that. We hope something. Anticipation of good. That's the breeding ground. Hope is in the mind. Faith is in the heart. And it needs to go from year to year, but it takes time. It's got to brew in year and brew in year and brew in year and brew in year before the revelation comes in year. That's what's very key in what we think about. It's very key by what we speak. It's very key. It's very key. And there's three stages in faith and it's stuff that we've already said on, but just to encourage us. Faith comes by hearing. We all know that. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God. So there's three stages in faith. God's word comes, but God's word, when it comes, however it comes, like it came to this king, that just produces a hearing. That's all it does. It hasn't produced faith yet. And that word hearing means I want to take it. It's like when Moses was walking along. It's the best way, example I can use it. Then all of a sudden he saw the bush burning. And the Bible says, as he turned aside, so he was going somewhere, saw the bush burning. As he turned aside, then God did something. And so God will send his word, and as we turn aside and give it attention, then something else begins to take place. Then something else takes place. And so God wants to capture our attention continually through various circumstances and times and whatever is going on. And even this season, you spend time with people and your family wonderfully rejoicing, having a good time. 
just be aware of the time that God wants to capture your attention on something. Somebody says something. Somebody does something. And he's capturing. As you turn aside, he will respond. He's waiting for us to turn aside when he initiates. Because faith is always initiated from him. It's never initiated from me. It's the revelation of what he's wanting to do. And as he reveals something, as he speaks something, and so even as you've gone through tough times and even in the day that we're living, things come at us like a freight train, people. You've heard me say that. There's a lot going on. And God wants to continue to remind us like he did with this king. Listen, I made a promise to you many years ago. I haven't changed my mind about that promise. I'm not a man that I should lie, the Bible says. I promised you something there. Now circumstances are different, but I promised you something there. And I'm God Emmanuel. I'm with you. So faith comes by hearing. Hearing is the attitude that is aroused and an interest and a desire and attention, like it grabs our attention. It's a desire to receive and understand. That's how faith starts. That's what needs to start here. And then as the hearing starts to come and as I begin to give it attention, faith then begins to grow in me and slowly grow in me and begins to develop in me. It takes time for it to come. It takes time for it to get inside of my heart. And then when it gets inside it, there's an establishment. That's why it says you will not be established if you do not believe in it. It takes time to get established. And when you get that inner witness, that inner witness, that assurance, that confidence that grows and is established, then the word begins to prevail over your thinking in that area. Then when the circumstances come, the word comes up inside you, and that is prime importance, not the circumstances anymore. Because faith has arisen in you. And the word is now starting to show how you should think. But it takes time. That's what God was trying to show to this king. To say, even I'll give you a sign. And it's amazing in all that. As I said, the greatest prophecy about the coming of Jesus. And the virgin will be with son. And they'll call him Emmanuel. God with us. Whatever you're going through, God is with you. Faith is a response of a human being to the initiative that God takes in making himself known. And that's how we walk in faith. And for the sake of time, let's go to the next prophecy. And I won't spend as much time on it as in chapter 9. We'll just read it and make a few comments. I'll put my notes aside so we can get home and eat. Praise the living Lord. <laughs> Folks, there's a lot happening in the world today, but I want to tell you the Lord is in charge. The Lord is in charge. Okay, Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be more gloom for those were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee. And that prophecy was fulfilled through Christ. I don't have time to go into it. Honor the land of Galilee, sorry, of the Gentiles by the way of the sea. The people walking in great darkness have seen a great light. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. I do want to go back to some of my notes. Let's carry on reading. 
on those living in the land of the shadow of death. We were all living there at one stage, people. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As men rejoice when dividing the plunder as in the days of Midian's defeat. That's a key. Who knows who defeated Midian? Gideon. Go read about the Midianites' defeat through Gideon. Clayton preached on it. Brilliant sermon. So God's bringing that up for a reason. See, so going back to that battle and how decisive that battle was. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Everyone's boot is used in battle, every garment rolled in blood, and will be destined for burning with the fuel for fire. For unto us a child is born, and a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. I'll read that again. Of the increase of his government the increase of his rule, the increase of his kingdom, and the kingdom is made of peace, righteousness, and joy. And peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. When the gospel comes to any place, and any soul, light comes. Great light. We were rescued from darkness and brought into the light of our son, Jesus Christ. We were rescued. We lived in darkness, people. We were rescued from darkness. Praise the living Lord. A shining light which will never, which will continue to increase and increase. When the gospel comes, it brings joy, great joy. When the gospel comes, it will break the yoke of sin and Satan that oppressed us. And there was a weight across our backs like the Midianites did to the Israelites. Because a child is born, it speaks of his humanity. But a son is given, it speaks of his deity. What an amazing mystery. There's nothing weaker, more helpless, more dependent than a child. Messiah could have come as a fully grown man, created as an adult, even as Adam was created. But for Jesus to fully identify with humanity... And to display his life and his servant heart to his father, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. So he could be God, Emmanuel, with us. And the Bible says the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He will make sure that it happens. Not you and I. He will make sure that it happens. These are two major prophecies about the coming of Jesus, whom we celebrate, whom we rejoice in, whom we honor, whom we give reverence to, because he's God with us, Emmanuel, and he will never leave us. Do not let your heart be despondent. Don't let your heart become faint, people. 
Be quiet when circumstances come your way. Don't continue to speak them as God was encouraged as king. He said, be quiet before me. Be calm before me. Let faith arise in your heart. Go back to what I've already told you. Go back to what I promised you. I'm never going to leave you because I'm God Emmanuel. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'll always be with you. What a wonderful God we serve, eh? Bless you all. Amen.